There had been no father to give the bride away, no loving relatives to see her go, none to mourn for her. If anyone had thrown upon her a handful of rice or confetti or white rose petals, she would have been the magical bride, blushing under a long lace veil, which had been her mother's wedding veil. She would have thrown her bouquet, and it would have been caught by the next bride, the pale girl dancing herself to death. All had passed as in a long dream, and where was her little bride so light on her feet, light as a thistle? And who had danced at her wedding? Who had played the wedding music, music thin and shrill and sad? Where were her little choir boys sleeping in a row? Where were her little lower girls, who had mourned for her when she was no more, who had played her little harp? Where were her red-cheeked oboe players, who had carried her poor little bride, her dead face, her streaming hair? There had been no other bride, no old bridegroom to carry her in his arms as a mother carries a child, to carry her across the threshold from one life to another life. That sleep of death from which she never would awaken. There had been no threshold. There had been no bridal bed. There had been no music but of the wind whistling through the hollow reeds. No tears but of the falling rain. There had been no old husband but in her imagination, and she was married to this pale ghost, and she was still alone, crying in her wakeful sleep. And there was no one, no one but herself, it seemed. Her poor little dancing girl with the shorn head, the bleeding mouth, the lips which cracked in the ethereal cold, the purple eyelids, the eyes strained purple in the darkness, in that she remembered her as if she were another person. She remembered as if it were yesterday or the day before, the night she had died, and no one had known but the mournful fireflies lighting upon up her dead face, the little field mice squeaking where her heart had been, the rustlings of the winter grass when something moved, dancing on one foot, the plaintive reeds, the ears of the tall corn listening, the roots of dead trees, the empty wasp nests and whirling water holes, and there was this dead rose in her tiny folded hands. She opened, in a dream, her tiny, bright insect eyes, staring for an empty moment without expression at the dark and silver clouds torn like old lace, shot with gleamings of gold, pale pools reflecting reflections and gauze-shrouded bushes and the movements of spidery twigs. And in a dream, having never awakened, it seemed, she closed her tiny eyes, for she was dead. Carried upon no palanquin of silver and gold was she. Her little feet turned outward. Now she cried, kicking with one foot, foot that wore the little gold heart dangling. For never would she be stretched out so that the great lover could take her. She would always dance, dance in the wind, dance among the whirling stars. And no one should stop her until the stars stopped in the sky, until the autumn leaves whirling above her watery grave should never fall again. She was this dead child dancing, naked in the storm. Might there not be, how she cried, remembering her in her tiny breasts, her funeral, since there had never been the wedding. The wedding marched so slow and sad, the marriage of soul with soul, of body with body. And should she not dance? Dance when she was dead? Dance at her funeral? Her last dance? Dance at the old dance hall, dance at the river saloon where the old dogs slept, dance with all the boys, dance with the old men who remembered themselves, her hair streaming across her eyes so that they should not see who she was, this naked and grinning skull, so that they should not see this faceless skull reflected in the dimmed looking glass. Why should she give birth, though she had worked in a pottery, to an urn, to a stone angel, to the face of a cracked sundial? Why should she be, she screamed, this common clay? this tortured dust. Why should she not dance? Where were the little dancing shoes winged with light wings, her little shoes which danced and danced without her? Where were her little shoes which danced and danced when she was dead, her little feet never touching the earth? Her little shoes, she cried, would always dance, 
dance in the wind, dance when she was no more, her little eyelids fluttering like moths, her little harebells tinkling in the wind. She remembered crying in her sleep the night she had died, clutching with her little hands, and no one but herself had ever mourned for her, poor little dancing girl who had cried. The slow stars had danced, wheeling by, the thin reeds had whispered, breaking in the wind. Always before, guarding her virtue, she had escaped in various ways these ugly brute men who were hounding her to her grave. She cried, and far beyond it, far beyond these purple hills ranged like old faces smiling in the fog. Always before, she had deceived them, making them think she was someone else, and maybe she still had, she cried, her little ways, a handful of dust thrown in their, into their eyes, maybe only a thin shadow moving in a dream. She would make them think she lived when she was dead. She would make them think she was dead when she lived. She would paint her face. She would tighten her coat. Then tree branches clashed in the swirling dance, even as she cried, and purple thistles were blown along the wind, and there were red spots in the dark, glassy sky, and she heard the zoomings of the wild bees like comets in the empty skull in the silver box. Her beauty had always come out of this little box on her lap, and she had always put on her other face, had always deceived herself, smiling with this frozen smile. Where was her little lace handkerchief with which she would wipe her eyes? Where was her ivory comb to draw through her long gold hair? Where was her little skull? Where was her dew-tipped blade of grass? And where were her little feet she should have worn? Where would be the funeral for her dead bride? The dead sparrow, the spider, the bee, the withered flower, the evening moth, the sleeping dragonfly? Where, were, where was her little hand mirror stained dark and burnt and cracked? Might there not still be, she cried, her funeral, since there had never been her wedding? Funeral for the little mouse and scray whiskers? Might there not still be, she was busy making her little plans, the little mouse's funeral, the little mouse's pallbearers carrying her away under her little wedding veil of torn lace, her shroud, which was like the cobweb torn in the wind, a wreath of the gray field flowers upon the little mouse's head, this tiny cross in the little mouse's hands, the little mice angels flying in the mouse-colored sky, Little Mouse's funeral song of the little gray bird, the dead sparrow. Yet too many confusions were breaking upon her all at once, it seemed, breaking like a dark wave upon another shore, sweeping over her with one wild cry, sweeping her away from herself. The stars rushed past her like rivers of burning light, and she was fording these cold, dark streams, which made her tremble, yet though she was dead. The dead child should wade through many streams, cry with many voices. She was sleeping under the grass, she was sleeping under the stars. Sometimes she thought, crying in her sleep, screaming where there was no one who heard, she was just a poor skeleton in armor, a girl who never should have married any man on earth, not even the poorest, not even for chivalry, she already had been, she having been already taken by the stars, the waters, and the winds, married to her father who was dead and who had lost his bride, and should she be awakened now, made to feel the feelings she had never felt, to believe in the life she had never loved, had only seemed to love? Would she not suddenly grow old, wrinkled, and bent? What virtue should she defend, now when the last great harm had happened to her, or was about to happen? She did not know who her opponent was. It was a nameless something crying in the wind, a face she could not remember. What evils should she pursue, lifting her burning sword, fighting with these unknown shadows, foiled, foiled again, driven back, defeated by nothing but defeat? Should she be forced to take off her helmet and her golden mail, 
her silver meshes, her mailed gloves, to show her beard, her burning eyes, these dead genitals from which the withered flowers of woman, she was already fallen in the field. She dreamed strange dreams, she who had never dreamed before, she who had so carefully closed her eyes. She dreamed that she was not herself. She dreamed that she was a sundial in a ruined garden, the shadows covering her face so that there were no hours, and how the darkness did surround her, and this was the everlasting night. The things which were incomprehensible had never struck her until now when she was dead, her blood spotting the winter grass, and she was this pale bride, this naked skull who had passed beyond recognition. She was amazed, thinking of all the men she could have married, all of all those she could have chosen, just by lifting her little finger. She could have married any of those old pottery hands back there at the potter, any face of clay, the men whose feet were clay, any old potter turning the wheel that threw the clay, and all those who had kept the furnace fires, for all had wanted her, and the night watchman had wanted her, and the day watchman had wanted her, and the greatest potter had wanted her, and she could have gone on both shifts, the day and the night, and she could have escaped, escaped this life which she could not now escape. She surely had been back at the pottery, the most popular girl she ever knew, the prettiest telephone operator receptionist, talking on four wires at once, never getting the messages mixed, giving all the men the messages from their jealous wives, jealous old hags, and now she was trapped, trapped in her own plot, trapped throughout eternity, married to the wrong man, one she had never talked to. She had not even slept with him until it was too late, and then he had not touched her. It was marvelous how popular she had been with all the men when they thought that she would never marry anyone, how all had pursued her, asking that she keep the evening for them when they knew it was already taken. She had surely led them all a merry chase, going from dancer to dancer, dance to dance, sometimes two, dance at one, two dances at once. If she was not seen at one dance, it could always be said that she was seen at the other dance. She had never had a moment free, so she could not understand, not to save her life which was already lost, why she had married, even in an empty dream, of all the men she knew and might have chosen as her mate throughout eternity and time, as her husband for better or worse, one she had not known, why she had married this poor football player who was too young to understand the mysteries of life, for he was innocent as a newborn babe himself, his cheeks suffused with a darker red than hers and blushing like a bride's as he dreamed of himself, never of her nor of her pleasures, the things which he would never dream of, never that she was dead. He dreamed of his mother's face, which he had seen when he had first opened his eyes. His mother was old, but probably he dreamed that she was beautiful and young again. She was younger than his bride. Why had his wife allowed herself to be deceived? He was dreaming of the old hunter, the old dead dog. Maybe she had thought that, as this boy was big and husky, he could carry her as an old dog carries a dead bird in its mouth, back to the hunter's feet. But, oh, she had been wrong. Wrong again. And he was no faithful retriever, and he was easily deceived, and he was barking at every shadow blown along the wind. He was deceived by every shadow, by every stirring of pale and ghostly wings in the long, billowing grass of a dream, flickerings, flutterings, the dead moon riding along the sky, the winter sun, flashings of silver and gold. He was betrayed by every motion of her hands, her tiny hands, betrayed by her bright eyes, by her shrill screaming. He was betrayed by her little foot kicking, kicking in his sleep. Where was this aging bus driver taking her now that he should take so long upon the shortest road she knew, 
that he should turn and turn about among the wheeling stars, especially when the places were the same, when only she had changed, moving like a bush. She had changed her face, her little face before her eyes, growing so suddenly old as in a single night, wrinkled and bent, her hair turning gray between the uncertain darkness and the gray streaked dawn, and all her life had been this empty dream, and this estrangement from herself, it seemed, was almost complete. Even as she shrilly cried, her little soul flying out of her little body, roosting on another rooftop. She was the dead child dancing naked in the storm among the whirling stars, the whirling leaves. The dead child dancing, dancing on one foot, and what cared she for these old human faces, faces of the sleepers? She had always evaded life, never once had dreamed of life which should follow life when she was dead. Never once had looked beyond the superficial face she saw. Never had she known another person, not even herself. Never had she been a fisherman of these old human hearts. So why should she be born to die? Die again. Street lamps glimmered for a moment like moons in the fog-swept distance. Now as she cried, her blank eyes staring. Now she must pay. Just like any other old whore, street walker plying her trade under the city lamps, shining in rows like drunkards lurching moves. For all her virtues, pain for the life she had not lived. Pay out her last cent out of her own pocketbook, pay for her wedding, pay for her birth, pay for her funeral, and she would have to go down through this dark, thorny valley of this shadow of life with no one to carry her, no pallbearer, Simeon, and drunk as bridegrooms who had come to the wedding feast, and had stayed for the funeral, and now would spend all their lives married to each other, because they had never married her who had no bridegroom in this life. Poor little thing with her torn veil, her withered flowers in her tiny hands, her stuffed bird on her hat, her trailing petticoats making patterns in the dust, and she would also have to carry all the way her own suitcase, all the way to her grave, burying her youth that had been so light and free, so thoughtless, her little dead heart where the re marsh reeds were trampled down by heavy feet, and the milk-colored moths trembled in the evening light, and there was no one. There would be the phosphorescent gleamings of reeds in the purple darkness, the fireflies gleaming like sudden stars, dead twigs moving again. So she had cried, knowing how all things would be, having always known the future as if there were no future, even as if this future were his past or the present already fading, as if it were completed, except for one wild cry which would never, which would be forever heard. Nothing was as she had planned, and nothing was right. She had no bridal trousseau, no negligee ribbons, no clothes to come to childbed with, no dance programs, no suitors, no husband. What good was this poor football player at her side, sleeping his deep sleep and heavily breathing, his breath roaring in her ears and roaring like the stars of heaven above the roaring river, his face turning red, he who no doubt imagined that he was running, he who was the all-star athlete of the past, captain of the dead crew, champion baseball player, pitcher, and catcher upon the baseball diamond overgrown with silver weeds, captain of the dead football team who had carried him upon their shoulders, and captain of the dead basketball team which had pitched its ball into a net of stars. He who would never make another touchdown. He who would never make another basket. He who would never make another home run, champion skeet shooter, shooting the clay targets thrown up to intimate to imitate the flight of those who flew upon the wing, champion pole vaulter and high jumper and long-distance runner, champion where there was no partner, champion in all the fields of the outdoor sports except her field where she was fallen. 
What good, she cried, was he to her, he who would never again come to victory or to defeat, he who would never again wear the laurel wreath, he who would never again be carried upon the shoulders of the crowd, never again win the loving cup or the silver football player or the golden archer, or if he was victorious, who should know? Who should know his mournful failure? It was that failure which only the woman sleeping in his side should know, the girl never sleeping. She would rather walk across the glassy, burning floor of hell than come to childbirth in his mother's house as she was coming now, bearing the child that never would be hers, and never would be his. This much was surely clear to her, that the husband was not the father. Whoever the father was, it was not he in all this world. For all the men she knew or did not know, she had married the one man for whom fatherhood would be impossible as a realization of the dream of heaven on earth. Never would he carry her child in his arms. She had just married him in a hollow ceremony in order to bury her, and that was the truth. She would rather tear out her hair, her eyes, and sleep in that old widow's house, giving birth to her old, ugly rival who had lived when she was no more, when she had parted from herself, when she would be forgotten. She knew every minute where he was, every minute of the day and of the endless night, yet though he slept at her side and might so easily evade her as only the husband can evade the wife, and she knew every dream he dreamed, yet though he was this empty skull who would have no life except for her, this headless man who dreamed not of her, no matter of whom he dreamed, and he did not deceive her, not for a shiny moment, not for a split second passing before it was realized, just like a comet who had not seen passing before one's eyes. Not now, when she was no longer herself, but was another person. Not now, when she was married to him, that she might give birth to a form of death taking her eyes, her hair as if she saw her reflection in a shadowed mirror. There were only these outward forms, these shadow shapes in all the world. He was never where he was. He was never where she was. He was always running around with the old crowds of the old river towns and boats. He was always hearing the river boats whistle tooting as it rounded the bend hearing it only in his mistaken dreams, as she could tell by the twitchings of his rose-covered cheeks. She knew when he heard the old dogs barking. She knew when he heard the shot of the gun. He was always dancing around, dancing with all the girls at the old dance pavilion with its roof open now to the tented stars, dancing at the old river saloon where the dead drunkards were drinking, dancing with someone, dancing with some who were already dead as little did he know. When the water froze, he skated on ice with a partner whose face he had never seen, for her face was covered with snow. He was not faithful to her, poor little dancing girl. He was surely a philanderer at heart, or else he never would have married her. He was married to a human football, it seemed to her. He was always out kicking an old football in the practice fields of his dreams, always kicking the wrong ball, and never once did he think of her, his mortal wife, who soon must give birth to one who would be so soon immortal poor little thing with her feathery hair streaming over her eyes, her tiny closed eyes, her cheeks streaked with tears because she was born. Never of her who had been kicked from pillar to post, kicked from goal line to goal line long before he had played this field, long before she had ever married him with her eyes closed. She had been kicked into the next field. She had been kicked from field to field. She had been kicked beyond the farthest goal post, beyond the farthest field of his imagination, kicked beyond the sun, the moon, the stars. So she could not forgive him for deserting her in her hour of need, especially as she would not need him beyond her hour. She was watching the old town clock very closely now. Tick-tock. 
and she was running around and around the old town clock, driven wilder by its striking, wilder by its clock bell splitting her ears. For should she give birth to time, who so soon would leave it for eternity, so soon would leave all human faces? He had already left her, she cried, to face the eternal darkness alone, and he was not fishing in her dark river, for he was fishing in a stream of light. Yet had he not faithfully promised, when she had married him, until death did them part, to see her through this dark, thorny valley of the shadow of life, to stay with her as long as she lived, and if she died, to carry the dead child in his arms, even to say that it was his, seed of his loins, that he was the old father, though she was not the mother of a child? He would never live long enough to be the father, never long enough to be the mother with the withered breasts, the shrunken sides, these false memories of life. Never would he be the old man, and never would she be the old woman. Never would she lose her beautiful face. He would always be the child. She had had to think of everything. He would not assist her when she took her downward step. He would not carry her suitcase or help her through a door. She walked ahead of him. He stumbled as if he were sleeping or still kicking a ball. Surely he had no chivalrous instincts, such as she had been accustomed to expect from a gentleman. For she had paid the passage pay this old bus driver to bring her back to this old river town of the night and the shadows and the old ferry boat sleeping under the bridge to bring this sleeping bridegroom the sleeping beauty who never dreamed of her his mortal wife who soon would be immortal like the old ball players poor little dancing girl whom she remembered now the bleeding wound which was her livid mouth her shorn head with its gray flying curls the bleeding eyes in the sunlight she had paid for him and her for herself and her husband and this ghost she had paid for the ghostly triangle which would destroy her marriage, for his love would be dead. She had paid for three crescent moons interlinking. She had paid for reality as if it were real to her, as if she might live. She had paid for many weddings and wedding anniversaries, the silver and the golden and the lead, for funerals and births, for cherry blossoms and peach trees and crabapple trees, for the faces of children as yet unborn and for the dead faces. For family reunions, though there would be no family, for old ghosts crying, white-sheeted in the winter wind, for snow-laden orchards in the soft bloom of spring, for old hitching posts with human faces, for broken bridges and broken gates. What was man that any girl caught in this dilemma, breaking into two, should depend on him, always dreaming only of himself? He was a beast, she shrilly cried, biting with her tiny teeth, kicking with her foot, prodding his side with her sharp elbow, for he, li for he little knew of woman's suffering and giving birth, of what it would mean to bear a child that never would be his, never would be hers, to have this body torn apart and lose himself as she must lose herself. Her little finger, of which she had been so proud, her little hourglass form, which had not kept the hours, her hair, her eyes, her eggshell complexion, her ruby eardrops, even her teeth, her mental independence, her freedom, her little stalking horse, her red stag, her little black knight with its flying plume, his lifted shield, his paper sword, all those brave illusions she had ever lived by when she was free to make her choices, she accusing everybody, both women and men, all the men who had gotten, in her, gotten her into this most irredeemable position, man who was free, free to follow the fox with his spotted hounds, Free as the wind to come and go, free to bird-dog, the dead birds, and sleep in the grass. Sleep wherever he chose, and everywhere but in her bed, for she had no bed to sleep in, not even the grass. And he was not taken by another shape as she was, and he was not shaped by the great potter, and he had not, she indistinctly moaned, these 
aching pinprickling breasts, small as withered flowers. These burning eyelids, this body wearing last winter's coat so tightly drawn and shrunken that she could scarcely breathe and might die. This tight corset with its rusted stays jabbing her sides. These tiny feet stuck into these glass-heeled shoes because she still must travel. Travel so far from this dark, thorny valley of the shadow of life and far beyond it. Far beyond these purple hills, through freezing winds and snow. She was so thin, so tiny, almost a child herself. Should she be swelling, giving birth to death? She sobbed to the dead moon, to herself alone, to the dead child dancing the storm. Surely she could not be killed. Surely she would always dance, leading the dance, going from partner to partner in a sad, whirling dance. Or when there was no partner dancing with herself. Poor little dancing girl, or with her shadow. She would squire herself around and be her escort to another world. She would wear a tuxedo and a high silk hat. She had danced among the midges, so she would dance among the falling stars, the falling leaves.